Amen. Good to see you all this morning. So great to see this place filled. Not sure what we're going to do because we have no overflow room. <laughs> so, but uh, so glad you, you came today. Let's bow in prayer and ask God to bless his word as we look into it for our own lives. Father, we come before you today and we thank you for this place of worship. We thank you for the freedom to worship you, Lord. It's just been made so much more real now that we've had uh, been unable to worship you together. But Lord, we are grateful that we have options like the internet, and we thank you for those who are participating there and, and for those who are participating here in the room. Father, we pray that you would bless us, that you would cause us to be able to worship you in spirit and in truth. Lord, as we open your word, we ask, Lord, that you would apply it to our hearts and that we would courageously go forth and proclaim the goodness of God in everything we do. I pray, Lord, that as I preach your word, Lord, I just ask that you would help me to speak it and preach it in a way that is um, powerful, filled with your spirit, impacting our lives. Lord, that we would go forth from here determined to be your servants here on earth and to speak the truth in your name. And so, Father, we just pray that you would be glorified in what is said and help me to... uh, to deliver it well in your name, for we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. So have you ever had times when you thought you were doing God's will and you thought this was going to be great because God was involved, and then it just kind of all fizzled and died and went south? I remember this one time where uh, this couple came to the church, and uh, they came to the office and they were asking for help. They, they needed a place to stay. They needed a shower. They needed some food. And they needed some money. They were on their way to Toronto. And they had this long string of bad luck. Uh, and they told me this big, huge, long story. And so, you know, we did what Christians do, right? We invited them over. Oh, come on over. Stay at our house, you know. They showered and had, had a dinner with us and, and enjoyed themselves. And, uh, you know, after all, that's what Christians do, right? I'm a pastor, so I've preached on the Good Samaritan. You know, uh, so often, sometimes I think Christians think that they need like a, a lightning bolt from heaven to tell them what ministry to do. And I'm telling you, just open your eyes. You know, there's people in need. Minister to those people, and God will use it for His glory. And that's the call to ministry. It's just you know whatever's in front of you. So that's what we did. We had them over, and then in the morning we fed them breakfast, and then I drove them over to the bus depot and I gave them tickets to uh, go to Toronto. Good, fair enough. I was was curious, however, that they never said thank you for any of that. And I was like, that's kind of weird, you know? Like, why wouldn't you say thank you, you know? And then uh, as as I was driving back to the church to start my day, I stopped for gas, went to pay for the gas. My credit card's gone. I phone up Jennifer. Her credit card's gone too. (laughs) We'd been robbed. Luckily, we found out right away, and we were able to cancel the cards, and everything was okay. But I felt just used, you know? Like, here I am, giving, 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 and then just someone takes advantage of the situation, rips us off, and I just felt bad, you know? Um, So it was kind of like I got a slap in the face for doing ministry to people, for helping people out. One guy said... Uh, have you ever had that where you've done the right thing and then just came around and whacked you in the head? <laughs> you know? There's one guy I was reading when I was looking into this. He said, oh, we have a mantra at the office. It goes something like this. 
no good deed goes unpunished. <laughs> I kind of went, yeah, yeah, that happens. Uh, well, running into problems because you're doing what you're supposed to do, it's nothing new. Last week, remember, Peter Hardyrink shared all about the fact that as Christians, if we're doing what we're supposed to be doing, what's going to happen? Tribulation. Someone was listening last week. Thank you. That's exactly what was going to happen. You're going to get tribulation. In fact, Peter was saying we must go through tribulation to enter the kingdom of heaven. It's part and parcel of the deal. We've gotten so used to, in the Western Hemisphere, to just kind of assume that tribulation and, and persecution, that's from a bygone era. That's, you know, we, we've said goodbye to that. And, you know, we're kind of Christianized and we have Judo, Christian Judeo values and so you know no big deal well that's not necessarily the case anymore and uh, we're going to see from one of the people in the new testament i'm sorry in the old testament that he did the right thing and all he got was suffering for it all he got was problems for doing the right thing and that that guy's name was jeremiah jeremiah was a prophet like this Uh, and lord willing for the rest of this month we're just going to go through uh, one chapter in the book of Jeremiah, Jeremiah 32, uh, and just go through some of Jeremiah's life and how it relates to us today. Uh, we've been talking uh, about uh, the Israelites wandering around the desert for a few months now, at least when I've been preaching, and uh, and uh, I, I was really enjoy. I was really surprised at the variety of things that were going on in the wilderness and and some of the similarities. And I was like, wow, this is really uh, apropos for those of us who feel like we've been wandering around in the desert of COVID-19 for, for a while now, you know. Uh, and in fact, you know, sometimes the Lord leads in mysterious ways. You know, at, after Jason's wedding, I was talking to Pastor Mike Lennon of, of Cedarview Alliance Church. He used to be a pastor here, and now he's a senior pastor there. And uh, we're great friends. And as pastors do, we often say, well, so what are you preaching on these days? You know, it's just a topic of conversation. And he says, oh, Exodus. And I'm like, get out of here. Really? I'm preaching on Exodus too. And he goes, get out. You are not. No way. You're pulling my leg, right? The reason he said that is because he's been a, a pastor at CDU for what, two, three years? I don't know, something like that. And three times we've been preaching on the same biblical book at the same time. And so this third time is just like, what? You gotta be kidding me. <laughs> we laughed about it. And so you can either consider it ESP or great minds think alike, or maybe the leading of the Holy Spirit for certain times, right? I think I'd go with the latter. Uh, anyways, the desert wanderings brought the Israelites to Mount Sinai, and uh, they, we, we read about them getting ready to hear the word of the Lord, and, and God gives commandments. Uh, not just the Ten Commandments, but he gives commandments for all the rest of the book of Exodus, all of Leviticus, and halfway through Numbers while they're camped at Mount Sinai. And you know what? I, I just didn't feel like preaching through Leviticus was you know, a really great idea. So I was like, okay, Lord, can, can we go somewhere else? I, I'm, I'm, just, uh, I'm not sure that that's where you'd like me to, to preach from. And so uh, I started praying about it. And you know, it was it was weird because I, I was feeling kind of spiritually dry. I felt like I hadn't heard God's voice for a while. And so I just started praying, Lord, can you speak to me? <laughs> and I, 
I don't really recommend this, but this is what I did anyways. I just started popping my Bible open wherever it fell open. I started reading. I said, Lord, will you just speak to me with whatever? And so the first day, you know, some weird passage. I don't know what it was talking about. It didn't, God didn't speak to me through it. And then next day, same thing, next day. So quite honestly, I, I was feeling sort of high and dry. And I'm like, Lord, you know, please speak to me. Do you ever get that way? Were you just desperate to hear God speak to you because you haven't heard his voice for a while? I hope you get that way sometimes because it's part, of, part and parcel of a relationship. You know, if I don't speak to my wife for a while, you know, I start missing her and I... You know, and if I'm not around, I actually phone her up. You know, like, what's going on? You know, how you doing? You know, we talk. Uh, Because I'm lonely for her. And it's the same when we're lonely for the voice of the Lord. So anyways, uh, one day I opened my Bible after praying, Lord, speak to me. Opened it up to Isaiah, or Jeremiah 32. And there was the familiar voice of the Lord speaking to my heart. And I was like, oh, thank you, Lord. And then I'm like, should I preach on this? And so then I debated that for the next few days. And yeah, here we are. I'm going to preach on uh, on Jeremiah chapter 32. Um, And so you can turn your Bibles there. Uh, Well, actually, you might want to turn to chapter 28 because we're going to look into that for a bit as well. Jeremiah is known as the weeping prophet, mainly because he wrote the book of Lamentations and he was crying a lot. He was upset by what was going on. He was upset by the, the... the ministry that God gave him. God gave, God gave him this message to the people of Israel. And the message was, repent or burn, basically. It was this nasty message. And he went around saying, you know what? The Babylonians are going to come and they're going to wipe the city off the face of the earth and burn it to the ground and you're going to all get deported. So smarten up, repent. And he kept this up for chapter after chapter after chapter. There's actually 12 messages in the book of Jeremiah for the first bunch of chapters. Um, And he just keeps warning the people. And so um, basically he said, you know, if you don't repent, the same thing that happened to the rest of Israel when the Assyrians came and took them away, that's going to happen to you, Judah, if you don't repent. Um, So needless to say, his main message was kind of disheartening, fell on deaf ears, Nobody listened to him, which is kind of disheartening for the prophet. Uh, And he witnessed firsthand the awful fulfillment of his prophecies, which was completely disheartening, and which is why he wrote the book of Lamentations. He just lamented. He was just weeping that God had come and actually destroyed his own people, taking them into captive and leveling the city of Jerusalem. It was awful. His whole life... Jeremiah's whole life was really miserable. It really was. You know, he wanted to take a wife for himself, and the Lord said, no, 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 you can't take a wife. Why not? Because if you do, I mean, she's just going to be taken into captivity. Your children are going to be killed. Don't do it. (sighs) Can you imagine? God is, like, picking this man apart. By now, some of, by chapter 32, some of, Uh, Jeremiah's predictions had become true. The Babylonians had surrounded the city. And Jeremiah is advocating to the king and to all the people that they should surrender to Babylon. They need to just surrender. Uh, Otherwise, the city is going to get burned and leveled. Um, 
<clears throat> but the general feeling in Israel was that God was on their side and that God would win the battle and that they would win this battle with the Babylonians. In fact, they called out to the Egyptians for help. And when the Egyptian army marched out towards uh, Canaan, the, the promised land, the Chaldeans, the Babylonians, they all like hightailed it out of there. Like, yeah, we're not going to deal with Egypt right now. And they left. The Egyptians went back home. Chaldeans went back home. And so the false prophets who had been saying, oh, no, God's going to protect you. God's going to rescue you. They're all going like, see, we told you. God chased them away. The Babylonians are gone. And, and Elijah or Jeremiah is like, oh, no. Babylonians are going to come back. They're coming back. You can be sure of it. God has pronounced Israel doomed, and you're going to go into captivity. Um, so this message that, he, that, that Jeremiah was sharing, it was not very popular. People are like, oh, you doom and gloom prophet. Go back to where you came from. You know, like, get out of here. God is for us. He's not against us. You know, it's kind of like today. When we preach the hard truths of the gospel and repentance and uh, people go, oh, no, no, I'd rather go to this church down in the south, listen to it over the airwaves. They only talk about good things. God is going to bless you. God is going to... Oh, God God does bless people. Absolutely. My life is filled with blessing. Absolutely. I'm not like the prophet Jeremiah. Oh, maybe I should be a little more like the prophet Jeremiah. Jesus said, in this world we'll have trouble. It's interesting. We're so caught up in the good news and in the blessings of God and God loves us and God God uh, wants to bless us. Nah, 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 and we, we can listen to that all day. But nobody's happy with the unpopular message that God hates sin. Nobody's happy with the unpopular message that God wants us to live holy lives and that God is angry with sin. Nobody wants to preach that message. I remember one time I was preaching and I mentioned the word hell. And this young lady who was in, maybe in her early 20s, she had been leaning forward in her chair, listening to every word that I said. As soon as I mentioned the word hell, she slumped back in her chair, slid down, and I could tell for the rest of the message she wasn't hearing a word I said. Why? It's an unpopular message. People don't want to hear about hell. That's just, oh, come on, Pastor. Don't be a hellfire and brimstone. That was for, you know, three centuries ago. Sure, they were, you know, Jonathan Edwards can preach sinners in the hands of an angry God, but not today. That's like coercion. Oh, but if it's true, it's not coercion at all, is it? And so, yeah, Jeremiah had an unpopular message. Uh, So Jeremiah is walking around with this ox yoke on his shoulders. You can see a picture, uh, somebody drew it of him there. You know, he's got this ox yoke on his shoulder. And he's going around saying, this is what's going to happen to all of you. You're going to be yoked in slavery and you're going to go into captivity. This is is doom for all of Israel. Well, some of the other prophets were not saying the same thing. In fact, Hananiah, in chapter 28, you find this guy named Hananiah, and he's prophesying that God's going to deliver Israel. That, uh, you know, that, and he says, you know, the Babylonians, yeah, they're going to come back, all right, but they're going to come back, bring the articles of the temple, and they're going to 
return what they stole out of the temple. And they're going to return all the people that they've, they've taken away captive. And this is going to ha- that's what's going to happen. It's going to be peace. And, you know, <laughs> that was a positive message. That was a popular message. People were like, oh, yeah. Did you hear what Hananiah said? He said that we're going to win the battle, that the Babylonians are going to actually return the articles from the house of the Lord. Excellent. Everybody's excited about it. And there's Jeremiah. Oh, my. Look, he's got the ox yoke around his neck. What a terrible preacher. And Hananiah walks over to Jeremiah, and he grabs the oxen yoke off of his neck, and he breaks it. He smashes it. I don't know how he breaks it. Those things are unbreakable. But somehow he breaks it, and he says, that's how God's going to break the yoke of Nebuchadnezzar from all the nations around Israel. He's no longer going to be controlling all these nations. God's going to break his yoke. Jeremiah just, I, I don't know, it doesn't say he shook his head. But it says that uh, Jeremiah just uh, left. Um, oh, I forgot to mention what happened after Hananiah's prophecy. Did I mention that? That, that? that Jeremiah said, Amen. May the Lord do what you've prophesied. You know, like Jeremiah didn't want to see the destruction of Jerusalem. Jeremiah was quite happy that Hananiah prophesied that the Lord was going to rescue them and that the Babylonians would bring the stuff back uh, and and all that stuff. Um, But then he said this. He went on. He said, Nevertheless, the prophet who prophesies peace will be recognized as one truly sent by the Lord only if his prediction comes true. Now, do we have a book in the Bible called Hananiah? Uh, no, so we got, we got hindsight, right? <laughs> We're like, okay, his prophecy didn't come true. Who's, whose prophecy came true? Jeremiah's hindsight. But if you were there that day and you were listening to the two prophets, who would you intend, who would you be tending to believe? The guy who says, oh, it's all going to be good. God loves you. God's going to pour out mercy upon you. You're the jewel of his eye. He would never send you into captivity. You are his very own. Or the guy who's saying, God's going to judge you and send tribulation and trouble. (laughs) I kind of would like the other guy, but... This is high drama in the court of the king. With all the public watching, you know, these yokes and breaking the yoke and these two prophets going at it with one another and finally Jeremiah leaves. But God doesn't leave it ambiguous, does he? God comes back. Jeremiah's left and God comes back and he talks to Jeremiah and he says, it says in verse 12, after the prophet Hananiah broke the yoke off the neck of the prophet Jeremiah, The word of the Lord came to Jeremiah. Go tell Hananiah, this is what the word of the Lord says. You have broken a wooden yoke, but in its place you will get a yoke of iron. This is what the Lord Almighty, the God of Israel says. I will put an iron yoke on the necks of all those nations and make them serve Nebuchadnezzar of Babylon. They will serve him, and I will even give him control of wild animals. Not a very popular message, was it? Not at all. And later on during the battle, 
Jeremiah keeps saying, you're going to lose. You should give up. Can you imagine the prophet going around to the soldiers and saying to them, you should give up. What do you think the generals thought of this Jeremiah character? Stone the guy. Get rid of him. He's he's disrupting my troops. He's causing them to be discouraged. They don't want to fight anymore because they keep listening to this guy. Tell him to shut up and go home. Get rid of him. Uh, And can you imagine the king of Israel? I mean, he's got Jeremiah prophesying doom and gloom and repentance. And then there's this amazing message of hope, prosperity, deliverance by all these other prophets. And so these people are crying out for Jeremiah's death. Well, the end of chapter 28 ends with a tidbit of information that should have helped the king of Israel to do the right thing. Because Jeremiah was, was telling the king of Israel, you need to surrender the king of Babylon. And so in verse 15 it says, Then the prophet Jeremiah said to Hananiah the prophet, Listen to Hananiah, the Lord has not sent you, yet you have persuaded this nation to trust in lies. Therefore this is what the Lord says, I am about to remove you from the face of the earth. And this very year you are going to die because you have preached rebellion against the Lord. Whoa, the doom and gloom prophet's on a roll again. I mean, here he is saying to his opponent, you're going to die this year. You know, like, dude, chill. Like, that's not a very fair way of winning an argument, saying, oh, you're going to die, you wait and see. You know, it's like, oh, come on. But look at the next verse. In the seventh month of the same year, Hananiah the prophet died. Maybe the king of Israel should start listening at this point. Right? Jeremiah's just prophesied, and it came true, word for word. But the people keep calling for his death, nevertheless. And actually, one of the people that stood up for Jeremiah said, Hey, guys, you know, we heard about these other prophets that prophesied doom and gloom, and, and when the people repented, God didn't send the doom and gloom. So maybe we need to listen to Jeremiah. And people laughed him out of the courtroom and they told him to shut up. God is for us. God's on our side. Get out of here. You're talking nonsense. And he had to run for his life just because he stood up for Jeremiah. He ran to Egypt. And the king sent emissaries to, to Egypt to get him. They brought him back and they killed him just for standing up for Elijah. Talk about persecution. How did, how did Elijah feel at this point? Ay, ay, ay. They killed the guy who was standing up for me. Yeesh. So, all this drama brings us to chapter 32. So I just wanted to give you the background. This is what's been going on for chapter after chapter. I gave you one illustration from chapter 28, but there's a whole bunch of them. You can read the whole book. It's very interesting. Um, but here, and we're going we're gonna to focus on the first five verses of Jeremiah chapter 32. This is the word that the Lord... Uh, and I'm actually going to read it, sorry. First five verses. This is the word... Uh, that came to Jeremiah from the Lord in the tenth year of Zedekiah, king of Judah, which was the eighteenth year of Nebuchadnezzar. The army of the king of Babylon was then besieging Jerusalem. And Jeremiah the prophet was confined in the courtyard of the guard in the royal palace of Judah. Now Zedekiah, king of Judah, had imprisoned him there, saying, Why do you prophesy as you do? 
You say, this is what the Lord says. I am about to give this city into the hands of the Babylonians, and he will capture it. And Zedekiah, king of Judah, will not escape the Babylonians, but will certainly be given into the hands of the king of Babylon, and will speak with him face to face and see him with his very own eyes. And he will take Zedekiah to Babylon, and there he will remain until I deal with him, declares the Lord. If you fight against the Babylonians, you will not succeed. Why do you keep prophesying like this? That's why he put him in jail. So Jeremiah, here's Jeremiah, he's doing the right thing. He's prophesying what God told him to do. And all he gets is flack from everybody. And the king throws him in jail. Great. Thanks for obeying the Lord. Here you go. Get to stay in jail. Later on in the book, we find out what really happened. People were so fed up with Jeremiah that they put him in a dungeon Uh, It just about killed him, staying in the dungeon. He stayed in the dungeon for a long time. And then the king wants to hear if he's changed his mind and his prophecies. You know, he's saying some good prophecies now for Israel. And so the king sends for him, drags him out of the dungeon into his own court and starts grilling him. And, of course, Jeremiah doesn't change his message. But at the end, Jeremiah begs the king. He says, please, don't send me back to the dungeon. I'm going to die there. And so the king says, okay, well, you can stay in the courtyard of the guard and you can be imprisoned there. And so that's where he's imprisoned. But later on, when the, in the heat of the battle, they actually take Jeremiah and throw him in a pit. They, they're so sick because he's still preaching from the courtyard of the, the guard. He's still preaching that God is going to judge them. And so they, they take him and they want to kill him. But they decide maybe they won't. They're not sure, you know, killing the Lord's prophet, probably not a good idea. So they throw him in a pit. And the pit was normally full of water. It was a well, but it only had a bit of mud at the bottom. Well, quite a bit of mud. And Jeremiah sank down into the mud. And they basically left him there to starve to death. That's, that's the way they were going to kill him. They weren't actually going to kill him with a sword. They were just going to leave him in the bottom of this pit to starve to death. The king hears about it and it sends someone to rescue Jeremiah, and he, they actually throw down ropes, put rags under him, drag him out of the mud. And that's why, at this point, he's in the courtyard of the king. So you actually find out about the, how he gets here later on in Jeremiah, and you've got to come back to it. Anyways, that's why he's in the court of the guards. And so Jeremiah keeps declaring this message, even during the battle. It wasn't an easy life for Jeremiah. Do you get what's been happening? I mean, it's been rough doing what God wants. And you might ask me, well, Pastor, that's a very interesting story. But how in the, what, what, what in the world was God telling you? Why, I mean, why do we need to listen to this story? Like, what, what's in it for us? Like, what is this message? Well, remember last week when Peter talked about the fact that it is through many tribulations that we must enter the kingdom of God? I just felt like God was saying that the persecution Jeremiah was experiencing for sharing his unpopular message is the persecution that is a new reality in Canada for sharing an unpopular, extremely unpopular message that Christians have. Now, it's not the message of the gospel. The gospel message is a very good message. And I hope that that's our main message that we're sharing. It's still legal to share the gospel in Canada. But there are parts of our message that people don't want to hear because it's very unpopular. It's extremely unpopular today. Uh, 
Let me explain. There's this popular message in our society, very popular, that a fetus is part of a woman's body and that she has absolute authority and control over her own body and so she can have an abortion and that's perfectly fine. Very popular opinion. I noticed that when I go on on the uh, March for Life parade and when I talk to people, some young believers that come to our church, when I tell them that it's uh, it's, uh, evil to abort a child before it's born, they're like, what are you talking about, Pastor? Are you so backwards that you don't realize that it's part of a woman's body and it's her rights? And, and I go, no, it's a different human being. It has different DNA. It's a different human. And you're just treating it like garbage? That's not God's desire. God, God, made, God created that human in his own image. And we're supposed... And people don't want to hear that. They don't want to hear that a fetus has different DNA. It's a very negative message for Christians to be espousing, for Christians to be talking about. In fact, they just want you to shut up about it already. Don't share those stupid old ideas. And I'm here to say that I believe we need to be like Jeremiah and speak the truth into this world. And we might suffer the consequences. And there will be consequences. I know that if you speak the truth about abortion, you cannot be an MP in the Liberal Party of Canada. You're barred from that profession. It's illegal. (laughs) I don't know, illegal. You're not going to make it if you have that opinion. If you have that opinion as an organization, there are government services that are not available to you, for at least for a time there was. You couldn't hire a, su- a student from in the summer that in the government work program if you had the idea that a fetus was its own person and should be, should be uh, honored and respected. You, you couldn't hire a student under that program. It just was not, not available. This is real persecution. It's not the same as having your house burned down or losing your work, but it's persecution nevertheless. My friends, our values are under attack. But we must join Jeremiah in speaking the truth. There's this other popular idea, very popular, that homosexuality is a really good thing. It's very popular. In fact, we have gay parades that celebrate homosexuality. This is amazing. You know, like, like if you're a homosexual, you should celebrate that. It's a great gift. And, and Christian churches are going, yeah, 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 this is a fantastic. Uh, and the whole society celebrates the gay lifestyle. And anyone who would dare to suggest that homosexuality, act, acting out on homosexual desires is sinful, oh, anathema. That's just homophobic. You're a homophobic bigot. And it's not just that you're not allowed to say that homosexuality is a sin. You're, you are actually called upon to bless the homosexual relationships and say that this is a really good thing. Okay, we got used to that over the last 10, 20 years. And, uh, you know... And people get uncomfortable with me talking about it this way. I, I get that. And yet, we just had 
legislation passed that made it illegal to dissuade people from a homosexual lifestyle. Uh, that's getting a little bit difficult. Bill C-6 just got passed. It criminalizes conversion therapy. And you might say, well, conversion therapy, that's kind of hardcore. That's not very good. And I, I would have to agree with you. Most conversion therapy was unhealthy, uh, trying to force people to switch out of homosexuality. A lot of times, people cannot switch out of the, out of the mental state they're in. Uh, ask a lot of people, and they have immoral thoughts. It's hard to just switch those off. I don't care what they are, whether they're straight or gay or whatever they are. It's really hard to switch those things off. And yet, God calls us to work on that. God calls us to gain mastery over our thoughts and over our desires and not to act out our thoughts and desires in immoral ways. Um, But conversion therapy, which is outlawed and banned in Canada, even to advertise it, you can't do it, it's illegal. But it's the definition of conversion therapy that's in the criminal code that is the problem. It's the definition. Because the definition makes me a criminal for quoting scriptures in order to encourage someone to stop a gay lifestyle. I guess I'm going to have to be a criminal because I don't know what else to do in this regard uh, except be a criminal. Um, and this is the wording of the, the uh, definition of conversion therapy it means a practice, treatments, or service designated to change a person's sexual orientation to homosexual, to heterosexual, to change a person's gender identity or gender expression to size, size gender, or to express, repress, or reduce non-heterosexual attraction or sexual behavior or non-size gender gender expression. Which, when you first read it, it says, oh, "Okay, that's that's kind of reasonable." But when you read it in detail, you realize what it's actually saying. You see, every word of these, you notice that there's a lot of ors in the statement. So any piece of this is criminal. It doesn't have to be the whole thing. It can be any piece. So if you take out these words that I've highlighted, and next slide, make a sentence out of it, this is scary, okay? Conversion therapy that is illegal in Canada and criminal if you do it, means a practice designated to reduce non-heterosexual sexual behavior. What? That's criminal? A practice? This kind of scares me. So if I quote 1 Corinthians 6, verse 9 to 10, or do you not know that wrongdoers will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived, neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who have sex with men, nor thieves, nor greedy, nor drunkards, nor slanders, nor swindlers, nor will inherit the kingdom of God. If I do that in order to dissuade someone from homosexual behavior, sexual activity, then I'm a criminal. If I take the biblical example of At the end of the chapter, flee from sexual immorality. All other sins a person commits are outside the body. But whoever sins sexually sins against their own body. 
Do you not know that your bodies are the temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have received from God? You are not your own. You were bought with a price. Therefore, honor God with your body. Basically, the, the, the thing is, he's saying, these two verses are from the same chapter. He's saying that what you need to do in the case of sexuality, in sexual immorality, you need to flee. You need to get away from it as far as you can. If I preach this, these passages, in that way, to encourage someone to stop homosexual activity, I am now a criminal in Canada. Wow. There's another... Next slide. I need to hurry up here. (laughs) Practice does need to reduce non-size gender gender expression. Size gender just means the the gender you're born with, okay? But the Bible says God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. So why wouldn't a parent encourage a child to embrace who they are, the way God created them, and embrace that? I remember as a skinny teenager, I was having a real hard time embracing six foot five, 135 pounds. I was not embracing that. But one day, I heard a message where where someone said, God made you the way you are. And I embraced that reality, that I was skinny as a rail, tall as ever, and that I probably would never get a girlfriend because that's the way I was. But I embraced it. And once I embraced it as God's creation, my life changed. I became more able to, you know, I could wear shorts now without worrying about showing off my, what they called me was chicken legs. They had a lot of names for me, okay? Because my legs were skinnier than chicken, they said, and all these kinds of stuff. But I accepted who I was. You know, you might be a feminine man. That's fine. I mean, I, I did macrame when I was a teenager. You know, I could, I could do a hanging pot macrame. I, I did needlepoint. I did all of those things, you know, like crocheting and all that stuff. Loved it. And you can be... A man who's in touch with your feminine side. That's who God made you to be. That's absolutely fine. You know? But when you start denying that you are who you are because you have this feminine side or this male side, you can be a tom girl, that's fine. You know? But when you start denying that you're actually who God made you to be, there's a problem there. And the government wants to say that's, that's illegal. That's criminal for you to say those things. Wow. You might say, oh, come on, Pastor. This is for some other reality. I mean, we're not, we're not that far along yet, are we? Well, actually, I need to end our service here because the next few minutes, I'm going to turn this over to someone who's been affected by this. And we're not going to show it on the Internet because it's, it can ruin their career. And so we're actually going to shut the internet down at this point. Sorry for those who are watching at home. You're not going to be able to see this testimony. But uh, this is a personal testimony. People are involved. Careers are involved.